Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening here today. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Reclaim Me. I'm your host, Madeline Heather. Reclaim Me is a true crime podcast told by those at the centre of those crimes, the victim survivors. The general public often hears stories of victim survivors through the lenses of perpetrators or the media, and we're changing that narrative here. These interviews are raw and honest, so a word of warning is necessary as discussion and topics may be triggering or distressing for some listeners, so please use your discretion. If you need help or support, please see the suggested resources in the show notes of this episode or contact your local crisis service. Hello and welcome to another episode of Reclaim Me. Today I am joined by Anastasia Sagris-Desmond, who is a psychologist working in community health and is also on the March for Justice board. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I am really excited to have you on. I came across some of the work that you were doing just via some of your posts on LinkedIn and I found them incredibly insightful, especially obviously with your clinical background Um, And I wanted to just get you on to have a chat. So thank you so much for joining me. And I'm really looking forward to what we discussed today. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. My pleasure. Um, Would you mind maybe expanding a little bit on or introducing yourself and talking about kind of what working in community health as a psychologist for you has been like and, and also maybe what March for Justice is? I have worked as a psychologist, oh, I keep I can't believe it's been this long, but probably for about 28 years now, um, predominantly in community health. Uh, the most part of my work has been in the area of gambling harm. And of course, it's such a complex issue that there's always intersects with other issues such as family violence, homelessness, depression, anxiety, all those kind of things. So often coming across um clients that I work with who are struggling with a whole lot of issues. Um, It's really, really challenging work. So that's kind of on the clinical side of things. On a personal side of things, I'm um, quite the feminist, proud to say, not a dirty word like some people might have you say. Um, Mother of two, partner, you know, um, wanting to make a change in the world and I guess I have always had a quite a strong kind of moral backbone about, you know, looking out for people and doing the right thing and, and I can't stand injustice. Um, 
My mum tells me from a very young age I would often stand up for my friends who were being racially abused in primary school and um, one of my first, actual one of my first um, memories is being racially vilified in primary school. My background is my parents have come from Greece and um, this little kid told me to go back where I came from. And I told her that unless she's um, an Aboriginal person, then um, we weren't born here. This is not our land. That is their land. And um, she could just sod off. So (laughs) from a very young age, I was really wanting to try and right some wrongs that I could see in the community. And, you know, a few years ago became quite fired up by all of the action that had happened around um, the March for Justice uh, well, the initial marches that happened on Canberra after um, Brittany Higgins came out with uh, allegations of sexual assault in Parliament and it all just kind of was like a perfect storm, you know. A lot of people got angry, a lot of women got angry and I think we saw it across the world. It was wonderful to sort of come together and um, to stand up for, very, you know, a lot of really important issues and, and that led me to want to get involved with the board make a change. So what does March for Justice do? I know that March for Justice was the organisation that did organise, especially the Melbourne-based March, which occurred, and I remember that's the, that's the specific one that uh, former Prime Minister Scott Morrison uh, said that we were lucky that we weren't shot in the streets to yes. paraphrase the statement that he had said yeah. um, because I think that the full statement was something along the lines of uh, in other places in the world women are shot in the streets so we should be grateful. Um, and, yeah, that was that, wasn't it? Much for Justice organised that. Yep. Yeah. Yes, what a what a marvellous time that was <laughs> under that regime. Um, him and Jenny <laughs> needing to consult his wife to know what it felt like to have some empathy. Um, yes, so initially it all came to be because um, Janine Hendry had shot out a, tw- a tweet into the Twitter sphere and, um, you know, what would it be like if we all surrounded Parliament and just, you know, showed how we felt and it a group of women came together and I think in a fortnight that organised all these protests, all these marches across the country and um, Melbourne was one of the largest ones. My um, colleague and um, chair of our board currently, Broman Curry, organised the Melbourne one with some people and it was huge and, um, yeah, Janine had, I think, pretty sure she invited uh, Mr Morrison to come outside and meet and uh, he said oh no thanks you can come inside and meet with me but uh, the opposition leader at the time who's now the current prime minister came out and a whole lot of other politicians came out in solidarity with Miss Higgins and a few other speakers on the stage there was this real I've heard the word used the last week or two a reckoning you know there was a real reckoning that um, that was not good enough the way women are treated in a whole lot of areas so um much for justice was born and uh we had uh, i can actually tell you some of the four main asks that we have as as an organization um the first one is that we want all women to be safe in australia first nations women must be a priority so we want to end racial violence stop the removal of first nations babies and support voice treaty and truth for first nations people so that was one of the main the, like the main ask that we have 
wanting to be uh, women to be safe at work and at home. So we wanted fully implemented the recommendations of the Respect at Work report and we wanted to see an increase of funding in domestic and family violence prevention and support and also to address gendered violence in and in inequality um, that affect members of LGBTIQ plus communities as well. So that was the second ask. And some of those things have progressed, which is nice to see. I mean, obviously there's always more work than that can be done. But um, one of the other asks was around wanting real action to end gendered violence and promote gender equality across Australia and criminal justice reform. And I guess that was one of the things that is perhaps most relevant um, more recently when we've seen the dreadful treatment of victims of um, alleged sexual assaults, the way they're treated in, in our justice system is absolutely atrocious and it really needs an overhaul. It doesn't just need an overhaul, I don't think. Like, you know, I was just explaining that my job is, my day job is a business improvement specialist and I use a number of different methodologies to analyse different processes and sub-processes and really get into the nitty-gritty with people who use those processes or people who administer or operate those processes. So, you know, if you think about it, you've got a member of the public who's going to be engaging with a process who's a victim of a crime, then you've got all of the other parties to that process. So maybe you might have a lawyer, you might have an advocate, you've got all of these different people liaising with police officers and Department of Public Prosecutions. There's so many different things. Within the problems that we're seeing, I think along that line, when you think about a process flow, There are so many fundamental pain points, problems, points of failure, risks and issues that, you know, in a standard way of working, I would be pulling out and identifying some different low-hanging fruit that we might address first on to try and elicit the biggest impacts that we possibly can. But I usually would say, and I think most business process improvement specialists would, is when you address a process issue, if there are too many issues Like if you've got too many things that you need to change and implement, you can't change them all at once because you won't know what's made a positive impact and what hasn't. But at the second time, there's no point, I don't think. And I think we're at that stage now where process doesn't need to be tinkered with and tampered with. Process needs to be blown up and started again. And Mm -hmm. we need to start running major pilot programs and investing incredible amounts of money because This system that was built off the back of the church, you know, the back of the same system that used to torture bloody witches back Mm -hmm. in the day, that's Mm -hmm. the same system that we're using. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as a fellow feminist, actually, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know, you might know the answer to this. I had this thought today. Somebody said in a statement, they were like, it's a witch hunt. And I was like, there's Mm -hmm. no male reference for that, is there? Mm -hmm. No, I think you're right. Isn't that yeah. a bit of a, like, it, the whole thing, it just seems crazy to me. But, yeah, sorry about that monologue, but I feel like <laughs> when we're it's talking true, about these mm. issues, I just get so, and it's not to say that the work that all of these individuals are doing and even organising the first and initial march, and I was at the Melbourne one, it was so mm. powerful. Mm, wonderful. They are incredibly powerful and they are needed and yeah. You know, I, I think that it's important to maintain do, us doing those things. But I just feel like I'm almost frustrated because mm. I don't think that we need to keep 
you know, having people who have experienced these crimes having to come back in and tell their stories about what went wrong so that somebody can determine whether they give a shit enough to push through a legislative change if they possibly can mm-hmm. and then takes 10 to 15 years for that to be seen and implemented and effective. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think on a really fundamental level we know now in psychology and, and counselling and therapy that the more people tell their story, the more triggering and the more painful it is, right? It's not helpful to go back to the story and tell me again and tell me again and tell me again. And you think of a lot of the systems that we have, like work cover, for example, there's a really good example. Um, You're dealing with a different case manager every six months maybe. You've got to retell your story. They refer you to another agency that they might be able to help you, but you've got to tell that person your story again. And if you're having a psychological injury, there's no real understanding of how that's different from a physical injury. And if you keep regurgitating the same trauma, it's only injuring the victim further. Okay, so there has to be better ways that we can record people's experience initially um, rather than just keep re-traumatising people over and over again. And you know, I, I agree with what you said about the march being really powerful and we have had a lot of people talk, you know, over the last probably during this year about let's march again, let's march again, and that's I think I, I can see the value of that. I can see how people are angry and they want to express that and they want to get on the street and they want to, you know, it's like a Handmaid's Tale episode sometimes you think, you know, they just want to get out there and they want to do stuff, right, and that's great and it has a place. But I think one of the other things that we're trying to do is trying to get this systemic change. We want to get this legislative change happening that will help for the future. You know, we have to get in and make some really important changes so that other people don't have to go through what, you know, what previous generations have gone through. I can still remember Oh, I think it was a woman from the Melbourne March had a placard up and she was a a lady maybe in her 70s or 80s and it said something like, I can't believe I'm here again doing this, you know. Yeah, I can't believe I'm still doing this shit. I think I actually have a picture of that on my Instagram. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. The anger and the fire that that ignited with everybody that was there that day, I think as well, it was this is something that we as indiv- I as an individual left there and felt I have the power to make change. Yeah. And to see the amount of people surrounding that, it felt like you had the backing to maybe do that. And that was one of the biggest kicks in the butt that I got to launch this podcast, honestly, because it had been something I'd been thinking about for a long time. Um, mm. And in what format, I didn't know. Mm, um, good on you. And I remember leaving there and being so empowered and seeing all of these people holding these signs and being so outraged. And I was like, this is the community I want to work with. Yeah, it sounds like you found your tribe, right? You're in the place with, yeah, this is a, a really common sentiment that I hear from other women that were there too. And, you know, the, when we had the March, I think it was last year, um, when we took the lot, you know, the lost petition to Parliament, on um, it was just a sense of solidarity, support, acknowledgement of the importance of the work 
um, remembering that this was the, on the occasion of remembering victims of family violence, you know, like, it, yeah, memorialising them and in and not forgetting them and telling their stories. And I think this is what the power that victims, survivors have is to tell us not their story over and over again. If they want to, yes, but we don't need the you know, we're not reporters that want to the kind of that three-second grab of the gory details. Tell us what you think can be done better, right? Tell us from your experience what would have helped you more. That's the focus groups we need to sit down and talk to people about. And I think from reading some of the Attorney General's information about the funding that they've put towards changing some of the sexual assault um laws that's one of the things that they're wanting to do have some you know some focus groups and talk to people about what's actually useful to them i think that's so important i don't feel like the investment in understanding people's experiences is still there it's not first and foremost like i don't think that there are police probation and justice services that are really focused on obtaining that lived experience I know that there are things that are happening, so I'm not going to say exclusively, but I'd like to see more because the best way for you to change your practices, especially ones that cause harm, is to speak to the people who you caused harm to. Exactly right. And, you know, we used to call it consumer experience back in the day. But, you know, the lived experience voice is vital um, and it needs to be elevated to the same level that the alleged perpetrator is right? So in the system, the recent example of the case, the Bruce Lerman case, um, he didn't speak at all. Miss Higgins was the one who was interrogated and spoke and spoke mm-hmm. and spoke. And, you know, now we know that a whole lot of her personal details were shared and confidential notes and all that kind of thing. Whereas the person who was the alleged perpetrator wasn't subjected to the same treatment wasn't questioned about what he drank, wasn't questioned about, you know, the old thing about what you were wearing and what you drank and where you were and that kind of stuff is archaic and has no place anymore. It has to be more, there has to be a level playing field and the the, the victims are the ones who need the support. They need advocates with them in the system. They can't go in just on their own. They need someone with an experience of how the system, the rejigged system that you and I are going to change, um, how the new system works, right, to have an advocate and a support person there with them to take them through the process, to, to protect them, to look after them, to give them an opportunity to feel safe in a really unsafe place. The system is like, as you just said, it is only set up for victims to be traumatized and it is only set up for victims to fail. Mm. And what I mean by that as well is exactly what you just said with, we, you shouldn't have to know that you need an advocate and a lawyer before you engage with police services. You you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to have that first and foremost, but that's what, yeah. if any, anybody out there is going to go to seek, you know, any kind of criminal justice pathways, Mm. one of the things that most advocates will tell you is to seek legal advice first and to go with an advocate. Mm. And that's to protect yourself as well. I mean, many people have been talking about victim suspect right now where not only is there a 1% conviction rate, 
but there is a chance that you might be criminalized or, you know, the tables might turn on you if they don't think that you're telling the truth. So Mm. there's a lot of things at play for a lot of people. And I don't think it should be on the victims or the alleged victims in this case to have to advocate for themselves so much against a system that should be there to protect them. It's not hard to treat somebody with dignity and respect and believe what they are saying, you know, because I think people always say the presumption of innocence of the offender. We need to remain, keep the presumption of innocence of the offender. Well, is that not the exact same as as giving the victim in this case or the person who is making the allegation the the fairness of believing that what they are saying is true? Yeah. Like is that not the exact same thing? Like believing both sides and going in with integrity and going in with everything that we possibly can, compassion. And for some other examples, I mean like obviously we're going to get into the current system I've written down the current system, which doesn't support victims to come forward and the state of victim survivors going public in the media. Mm. Like it is absolutely atrocious. But even like the court antics that we almost can't even report on, there are so many gags against getting information from the courts. Mm. If it's not reported on by major news areas, it's very difficult to get any information. And some of the allegations or the counter-allegations are going against what I believe they've tried to put in place, like things like you can't berate the witness, you can't, you know, ask them things like what were you wearing, but they still do ask those questions. They do them as a tactic to make you feel scared and to try and trip you up in a way in what you're saying as a victim, Mm. and then you'll have your counsel which will say objection or however the bloody hell, you know, But it's still said because it's designed to throw you off. Even Mm. though they know it's going to be thrown out, that's the tactic, which is still... And a jury's heard it. It's unacceptable. And Mm. you can't tell a jury that's heard something like that just to dismiss it because you absolutely cannot. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. There's no... um, They're clever. They're very, very clever about the way that they use language and the way that they get around, I guess, what they're not supposed to do. sometimes I feel it's more about winning rather than justice. You know, I have have a bit of a problem with the word justice sometimes, you know. I think is it about justice or fairness or I think you are right, though. It all boils down to the fact that we need to believe women who I tend to be the majority of victims. There's no kind of base level that, okay, I hear you, I believe you, tell me what it is and we'll, you know, get this in action. Or actually let's look at the concept of agency. What would you like to do with that information? It's not, oh, yeah, come on, he's a, don't be silly. Do you really want to do that? This is a long process. Do you really want to subject yourself to that? And this is the kind of stuff we've been seeing this week, you know. Women all over Australia, I think, were triggered by everything that was going on in Parliament, so much so that, you know, a senator came out and and said something in in the Senate about what had happened to her, you know, and and then another woman came and you know supported her and said, yeah, that happened to me too. So if people in the halls of power, if you like, are being triggered, can you imagine the ripple effect across Australia the last fortnight? Just watching 
the politicisation of such a tragic thing that has happened and that happens every day to women. It's it's treated like a game and it's not good enough. No, it's not. And it's I completely agree. And I think it's all like the belief of children too. We see so often in the family courts, which we don't have access to, which is incredibly po- problematic. Mm. But there are children who are claiming you know, child sexual abuse, and then the judge is turning around and saying that the mother's made that up and they're Mm. getting put with the alleged offender. Mm. Like I don't have the full statistics for that, but I do know it is happening. And I think that we need to get better, not just get better, we need to overhaul the system completely. There should be no place for defence attorneys to make up lies to try and generate doubt in the truth. Like it's not about a fact-finding mission. It is about a performance and if you can trip somebody up to generate doubt. And I think that what they're still trying to do is play to specifically jury's bias. So whether they can drink, bring it in about drinking or whatever they were wearing or anything yeah. like that, even if it is dismissed, they're trying to sow a seed with somebody on that jury mm. to to make their their biases Mm. go against the alleged victim. They're not there to defend their client and say that they didn't do it half the time. They're there to try and generate doubt in what the victim has said or alleged. And that's not about fact-finding. That's about performing. You know, and if the most famous case that comes to mind is O.J. Simpson, that Mm. wasn't based on facts or anything. The entire outcome of that trial was 100% based on the fact that, A, the jury was exhausted because they'd been sequestered for nine months or whatever it was, and they mm. couldn't even talk to their families. Mm. But number two, Johnny Cochran was a better actor than Marsha okay. Clark. Mm. Like it's, do you know what I mean? Like it's just it's not about facts anymore. It's about yeah. who gives the better performance. Yeah. It was really interesting you mentioned before that, um, you know, the, the victims, um aren't believed but also there's the onus is on the victim all the time to to prove to prove it right and it just reminds me so much of when kids are at primary school and they have those bullying anti-bullying programs come in and you know talk to the kids about how to how to talk you know how to manage if you're being bullied time after time after time that I've heard these things it's always about what the victim needs to do to try and stop the bully. It's never about what the what the bully, how the bully needs to be treated, what the bully can do differently. So it's always the victim needs to work hard to say, no, stop it, I don't like that. Or, you know, I'll go and play over the other side of the playground, change their behaviour totally. And it's just exactly the same as when a, a woman is in court and she gets, you know, asked about which back street she was walking down and what she was wearing and how much she'd drunk. Like nothing has changed from the schoolyard to the courtroom, you know. So that's why it all needs to be completely overhauled and not in this kind of patriarchal system that it is at the moment where women, I think uh, the crux of it is that women aren't believed. After this episode airs, there will be people calling women liars or calling victim survivors liars and saying that that age-old adage of, you know, we need to maintain the the integrity of innocent until proven guilty. 
I agree with innocent until proven guilty. I believe that you deserve your day in court. I believe that you should have a just defense. Mm. Uh, I believe all of those things, but I also believe that the victims deserves the exact same rights. And I believe mm. that it should be based on the merits of the facts that are able to be found. And he said, she said is both equal information. People mm. who go to the police and who are told it's just a he said, she said thing, we're not going to be able to get enough evidence. I don't agree with that. Mm. I think that the fact that somebody has said this is enough to be believed. And why would someone make it up? Like really, that, that's one of the questions that irks me. Why on earth would someone get their jollies by making something like that up? Are you serious? I was going to... Um, bring up the issue of, yeah, I, th- I think it's in South America where they've got female-only police stations. What do you think about that as a strategy, you know? Yeah, I think, like, at least something around specific organisations that are created for these spaces. Like, they've done mm-hmm. the Orange Door program throughout. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know the effectiveness of Orange Door. I know that it was an, a, a massive program um, for specifically family violence that's been yeah. You know, number of different hubs have been put in across. Uh, is it Australia or just Victoria? Uh, well, I only know the Victorian experience because I, I have actually referred a few people through to the Orange Door, and it's uh, like an umbrella organisation that facilitates referrals to mm. you know places like homelessness services and counselling services and all those kind of things. And it's been very um, helpful for for clients that that have used it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I just see something as like a one place or one stop fits all because even a lot of the stories of people who have gone to hospitals for sexual assault kits and they've been turned away because they don't have the capacity to do those types of kits or somebody referred to one of the victims who's been on this podcast as a crime scene and was kind of made to feel as though they wouldn't be treated for things that are very serious like uh, potential pregnancy STDs, STIs, like there's there's things that there could be bleeding, tearing, there could be internal injuries Mm. that aren't being addressed because people are too scared to touch these people. So I think if we have a series of something like hubs, whether it be female only or not, as long as it's legibitiqua friendly, Mm. um, I think that's paramount where you've got an isolated area that is a safe space that isn't too clinical, where children can be, where people can feel happy and safe, maybe where they can make an initial statement with somebody who has the capacity to pass that on or that is the investigator instead of passing it on to the police Mm. and in that same co-location can get the treatment that they need from medical professionals and nursing staff and maybe even the evidence collection kit. You know, imagine if you were in a safe space where you've got this area, you walk into that and it's a one-stop shop. You've mm. got your investigator there if you want to. You know, you've got you've got to come back to the same place. That's completely fine. If you want to make um come back later and utilize the DNA that they took or the the kit that they did when they did the check-in mm. on you. But you're not obligated to report. Yeah, because that's the issue, isn't it? Even before there's this fantastic one-stop shop. What's going through your mind? Do you even want to raise this? You know, do you even want to report it? Um, are you so traumatised and so shocked and so frozen that you don't know what to do? 
you know, what? how do we get the message out to people? How do we change opinions? How do we win over the hearts and minds about it's safe to reach out to someone? Do we need a, a home visiting service? Do we need a number like a triple zero where someone who's on call comes to your house to to help you talk through those issues, to collect evidence if you consent, whatever, and to, to refer you to somewhere? There has to yeah. be a better way, um, a safer way for victims to feel that the trouble that they're going to go to will actually come to something, you know, because it's it's people have used the word bruising this week about what's been happening in, in Parliament. I think it's a really good word, you know. Yeah. Whether you're physically bruised or mentally bruised from everything that's been happening, I could understand completely if a woman said, look, I just don't want to go any further. It's too much. It's too hard, you know, and that has to be respected too. Yeah, but, I mean, at the at what cost? Is that at their own mental health? Is that at their own physical health as well? Like the mm. least the least priority for me is getting a formal statement to a police officer. I want to make mm. sure that they're not going to harm themselves and I mm. want to make sure that they can intervene with any any likely harms that they might have had done to them. Yeah. I guess as a, as a psychologist, you know how like if children have been sexually assaulted, they would have specifically trained people who can talk to children and elicit those different types of, mm. um, I guess, rec- recantations. Mm-hmm. What would you say, like, maybe if there were specially trained psychologists, instead of um, maybe initial statements of what's happened, initial, you know, timelines of what's happened being told to a police officer, mm. what if they were told to a psychologist who's mm. a safer person who can talk you through things? Yeah. Well, I know that in Victoria here we have the um, Centres Against Sexual Assault, the CASAs, so they're specialist people who can help with sexual assault, um, people who've experienced sexual assaults. But uh, that's down potentially down the track, isn't it, someone who is referred there. But I think it's a really good idea if there was a, access to a trained professional who could come in at that initial stage and provide some kind of initial debriefing with someone or some containment, some safety um, a trauma-informed way of talking to people, knowing what's important, um, because even you know, police with the best intentions, it's not, it's not their skill set to to have that kind of psychological approach or the counselling approach or with therapy, you know, therapeutic approach to someone who's wounded. Right? It's the other. The policing approach is more about the gathering of evidence, like you said. Um, but there, yeah, there could be this, I guess, professionals who could be dispatched to various police stations, you know, as needed. I think it's a great idea. What are the other sockets? The the sexual assault. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, whether they could be part of that team as well, or mm. it's just interesting to think forward, you know, and to think mm. differently. And I just don't see, like, you know, a psychologist having to be called into a local police station. I think that's what's in people's minds. And people who do live in Victoria, I wouldn't say to go to your local police station if you have been sexually assaulted. I'd say to Google SOCIT, which is Socket, Mm. and they're the specialist trained sex offence 
um, investigation. So I think it's sexual offences and child abuse investigation teams. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They're plain clothed. Mm. They usually wear all black, I think. I mean, the people, when I was uh, sexually assaulted, I was only 14 and Socket took me to the Royal Children's Hospital and there were these two badass women, but they were in like, it was freezing cold and they were in like really long black trench coats. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know why, but that was almost more ominous. Like <laughs> women in black. <laughs> like, like, yeah, it's like entering the matrix kind of like. Neo yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, okay, like, oh, gosh. <laughs> like intimidating as shit. But even, even that level of a victim's experience with what they were wearing. Like that should be taken into consideration. Like, yes, they're plain clothed, right? But what can you wear to maybe make yourself more approachable to a child who's just experienced this? That should be a part of the feedback that is going into future ways of working. Yeah, and that's all part of that trauma-informed approach, not just the the theory around trauma-informed treatment, but the whole, like, you know, youth workers don't go to the street wearing a three-piece suit right? They dress like the clients that they're going to meet. It's a pretty basic thing when you think about it really, isn't it? You want to, you want to appear accessible and, and kind and that someone can trust you. You don't want to look like the matron that's going to take you away. Yeah. And it's sort of about being <laughs> in quote unquote professional attire. Like Obviously, there's time and places, and they're uniformed officers at times as well, so they would have their uniform. Mm. I think if you're going to go out, especially to a child, like the best thing that you could be doing would be wearing like a warm jumper or a cardigan or something that softens mm. you, mm. like something that's colourful that makes me seem like feel like you're you're more approachable than a business dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So, so you know what I'm hearing you say is that we need to be really having the victim front of mind all the time and what is it that we can do and we should ask them obviously but what is it that someone can do to make you feel more comfortable um when they want to help ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Absolutely. And that's that other thing I think as well around men. And that was a big thing about that victim stalker um, documentary on Netflix is when majority of the time women are the ones who have been sexually assaulted by men and men are the ones who are interviewing the victims Mm. of these crimes. It is so incredibly triggering, Mm. you know, and that's something that needs to be front of mind for those officers as well. Obviously we can strive for gender equity and gender equality in that sector Hmm. but you've just got to be mindful of the power play that is is at you know there there, that is it exists you need to be aware of it yes it's it's not that women are being difficult it's that actually this is really important you know you hear it a lot in client services like um i know someone who has a home cleaning service someone who visits and their background is you know they've survived you know family violence two family violent relationships and they don't want a male coming to visit to clean their house legitimate but you know each time they change someone on the roster they try and slide a man in there and she constantly has to say no I have told you I don't want a man I want a woman and you know the reason why but, oh, you know, you kind of feel like you're being difficult or it's really not that hard to cater to people's needs, um, especially when it's so important. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with putting them first? Yeah. You know, and that's, I think, you know, it's just, it's so important, you know, right? And that's a part of all service design, right, is putting yeah. the voice of customer first and front and centre, you know, it's all service design, if you were to create a system, if a system didn't exist and you were to create one from scratch, then mm. you'd be thinking about obviously protecting the the victim and, and I guess protecting the alleged offender as well. You don't want people going through that aren't guilty. Mm. Right? So you've got to put both of those things in at play, but it just seems like everything is geared around the offender's rights mm. and the experience and the damage to the victim is is acknowledged, but it is people just say it. We know that it's traumatizing for victims to come forward, and it just sounds like a mm. it's a statement it's people are reading. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, do something yeah. about it, then. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we wanted to do with our um, petition at March for Justice. You know, to call for a Senate inquiry into the way that sexual assault. Um, cases are, are handled and, and we've currently got a, a petition up on change.org and we'll put the details in, in you know, in the podcast hopefully, really encouraging people to sign it because we want to get lots of lots of people having a look at it but also lots of signatures and we want to take it. We want to take it to the politicians and say, look, this is really important. You need to overhaul the way you're doing things because it's not working. It's not working for women um, to enter a system that is 
as equally traumatizing as the reason that they've come in the first place, right? And somebody That's- asked me the other day, like, would would you come forward now? Because I was lucky to have a conviction. And I think I feel even gross saying that I'm not lucky to have a conviction. I'm justified in having a conviction for the man mm. who sexually assaulted me. Um, but would I come forward now knowing what I know? And the answer is no. Mm. And that's just being completely transparent. And I don't ever want to dissuade somebody from coming forward. But when you've got to weigh up the 1% conviction rate mm. over the years, the time investment that you're going to have to go through, mm. the money investment, you're going to have to pay money for lots of different things. It's going to impact your work. It's going to impact your education. Mm. You've got to be willing to do all of that and there's only a 1% chance that something's going to happen from it. And even in those chance, those occasions where they have, there's two people that have been on this, three people now that I've recorded with that are a part of that 1% that mm. have a conviction and the person or the offender, the convicted sex offender, in one case the convicted child sex offender, was given absolutely no jail time. They were given laughable good behaviour bonds. If that's the case, and honestly, in a genuine discussion, would you? Like if if you wanted yeah. to, would you? I look at the way that women are treated and I don't know that I would want to be re-traumatised like that again. You wonder really whether it's worth worth your time. It's It's like the way we treat whistleblowers. You know, it's the same kind of people. Those people are punished. For coming forward and you think well okay well I'll be quiet then get back in your box that's how it feels you know um and it's not okay that men who are found guilty of sexual assaults are given such mild sentences what what does that say to other men in society who might want to you know choose to use violence against women they'd be like oh well not really much of a deterrent is there and what does it say to the victim who's just gone through all of that as well? And yeah. what does it say about the continued safety of women in society? Like if this is a man who's sexually offended against a woman and they've received a good behaviour bond for it, mm. bit of a pat on the back, you're a good bloke, don't do it again. Like what does that say to him in terms of green lighting his offending? And what does that say to the victim who's gone through all of that? Like what about the rest of the public, public safety? Like mm. It's laughable. Yeah. I think one of the one of the posts that I might I might have put up that you responded to was the one about the the young bloke in Canberra who got a community community based order, got some community hours, and at the same yeah. time a bloke somewhere else had got jail time for riding his scooter too fast. Yes, that was that was Thomas Earl, convicted rapist, <laughs> gets 180 hours of um and and the the victim of that case, her and I have been talking and discussing her coming on the podcast as well. She's a, obviously been through a lot. Mm. Um, but, yeah, and that's the same as that woman as well who was mm. she spent months in prison because she blocked off the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Oh, yes. Yeah, the activist. Right. So mm. She's in jail. How dare you get in the way of traffic? And obviously there's issues there, especially with emergency vehicles. I'm not saying don't yeah. find people. Yeah. But when the fine for riding a scooter or the, the consequence for riding a scooter yeah. is more than sexual assault, yeah, we've got a problem. We've decriminalised it. 
It shows you what's valued in society, doesn't it? And traditionally it's not not been women and their experiences. And it's like this is all people as well. Like we, we refer to women in the mass and it's just like I think so much about children being underrepresented and under-advocated for and the forgotten victims in all of this as well. Mm. Like it, I think at the end of the day we need to make it safer for all people and victims to come forward. And that needs to be from a feminist perspective, mm-hmm. which is an equality perspective, an yeah. equitable perspective. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's it's important that we don't get sucked into people's narratives who talk about, you know, feminism is the rise of women at the detriment of men. I mean, that's <laughs> that's just trying to shut us up again. That's crap. You know, what's, what's the phrase, a rising tide lifts all boats you know like this is good for everybody equality is good for everybody no one wants to put men down we love men you know we're in relationships with men we've we've got some great allies you know who come along with us um, whether it's in person or online or you know it's it's I think I saw it was it Chanel Contos or someone put some great some great stuff on Insta today about um you know not all men but a lot of men, you know, because that's that hashtag not all men. When, when yeah. people, you know. No, but a lot of men <laughs> and it's it's not okay. There are some great men out there and some great young boys. Um, I really am excited about, you know, some of the younger generation. I see my kids at 24 and 19 and the way that they think about how they treat their friends and their girlfriends and, it's really, cha- I like to, it, it is changing. They have really great attitudes. I suppose they don't have much of a choice with a mum like me, but um, <laughs> I'm very proud of the way that they uphold everyone's rights, you know, and this is the generation that we need, particularly the young men, you know, we need to be careful that they're not caught up in this whole radicalization of the manosphere you know the the people who are out there trying to capitalize on them feeling confused or unsafe you know we need to really reach out to those boys as well and to encourage them encourage their kindness encourage their empathy encourage them to reach out to other guys like them and talk about what it's like to be them they don't always have to be the enemy of women like what when did that become the only option yeah, and I think it's like you know, referring to the Andrew Tates of the world, yeah. you know, capitalising on people who don't feel like they have a community and it's the same yeah. as, you know, the radicalization of people who've gone over to Iraq to fight in the Taliban. Mm. Like there are, and that's an oversimplification on my end, but there are people who are missing community connections and those yeah. people we need to engage with more and we need to make sure that we're not only educating but creating safe spaces, mm. you know, and that comes into treating men, you know, with love and respect and everything as they're growing up too because we we don't want them to become offenders and we don't want them to mm. perpetuate violence and we don't want them to be victims of violence either. You know, it goes both ways. Yeah, and also the rates of male suicide are really high. You know, we need to really be fostering a sense of care and understanding and love and sharing um, so that they feel secure, you know, and they don't feel so disconnected. Loneliness is a massive epidemic, right, in in our society. And it is easy for these predatory types to capitalise on on young and confused and, and insecure 
guys, young guys, particularly the one that you named and one other that shall not be named. I'm not going to, to, to say the Canadian's name, but, you know, a lot of people, um, these people actually, I don't know, it's like they see themselves as the saviour of these type, these young fellas, and it's it's not okay. No, it's just to perpetuate their own narrative. And oftentimes I think the thing to remember is that they're getting payoffs from them. They don't care about these cohorts of young men. They're trying to perpetuate it a type of narrative that makes them feel powerful because they're insecure in themselves and they're getting massive payoffs from it. Like they're not doing it because they think it's the right thing. Like the feminist movement, which Mm -hmm. none of us get paid for it. (laughs) They're doing these things to generate income and to get people to follow and do, you know, come and join this program where you learn how to exploit women for $500 for your first month. And you'll be a millionaire. Like, you know, and that's your you're you're exploiting people's maybe desire for control in their life if they've been abused and you've got exploiting people who are financially insecure like mm. maybe people's morals and we know that they do people's morals fly out the window when money's involved mm. and you would know all about that with your work <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's just a massive exploitation of of young boys and men as well and i think we need to do everything that we can to support that through too. Mm. And that's encouraging these really deep, uncomfortable, but real conversations. I think we see it a lot, probably have seen it a lot the last few years with our LGBTQI community and with our trans community, you know, people punching down on vulnerable people. What on earth do you get out of that? Like, seriously why would you what kind of person beats up someone who is you know potentially having the struggle of their life trying to be their their um authentic selves trying to live their life you know going through um you know with trans people maybe potentially going through surgeries going through all this hard stuff and um, some people choose to uh, abuse them and and call them all sorts of names and it's <laughs> I don't understand um, what they would get out of something like that. I think it's fear mongering. Like I think that it's to try and generate a multitude of hate towards a minority because it's easy and mm. it distracts from the real problems of the world. Like in the States mm. that we're seeing with, yeah. you know, this being the big discussion around children's safety and not guns or child sexual abuse or the exploitation of minors for work or the rates of family violence, homicides. Like there is so much that is more impactful to children, but you can generate fear and fear monger through people who aren't very educated and they go along with it. It's 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 incredibly sad. A lot of distraction, isn't it? We saw it here. I, I wonder the timing around some of the questioning in in Parliament. Um, you know, trying to say that Katie Gallagher knew something more than she knew, and it's interesting the timing that it all sort of came out after the whole. Ben Robert Smith defamation case and like we're not talking about that anymore we're talking about a Labor politician <laughs> that is so true and it's all made up media so like <laughs> the conspiracy but it is so true like I actually haven't seen many clips of politicians talking about and do you mind like 
a bit of a reference for people who don't know Ben Robert Smith. Mm. Um, you might be able to do a better quick one over on what the status of that is or who he um, is. So he, he was, so he's a soldier um, in the Australian Army and he'd received a Victoria Cross and touted as a, a hero and um, there was actually a report came out a few years ago where other soldiers had claimed that there were some war crimes that had happened what, during their time when they were over in um, Afghanistan, I think, and um, the media got a hold of it and and he was actually suing Channel 9, I think, and, and a newspaper for defamation for saying that he had taken part in the murders of civilians and um, the court found that um, his defamation case did not stand up. He lost that case and that um, some of the claims that were made were likely, I think. It's not a, it's not a criminal case, but, you know, um, the Brereton report, that was the name of the report, where some very brave soldiers came forward and gave evidence and, you know, against him and some of the practices that were going on over there. So, yeah, that kind of mysteriously got a, came off the front page. <laughs> It's horrible. I do think there were actual video, there was video footage that was um, oh. brought up during, which is horrible, which was brought oh. up during the trial. Oh. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's he's a free man. He's just not won a defamation case. So yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. Politically, though, that does raise the question. It's kind of proved that it does ha- it did happen. Are they going to do anything about it? Um, and mm. it. You're right. I think this look over here, not over here tactic, Mm -hmm. and that's, I mean, any media advisor would be telling you, of course, they're trying to do that. They're trying to minimise press on things that aren't good for them and they're going to try and deflect and push away. Mm. But to me that also doesn't feel like a democracy. You know, we're not actually being informed by things that are pertinent to us. We're not having, we're having real issues politicised in a way, not because people are going to have real debates about how to improve things, just because they're trying to one-up each other as politicians. Like mm-hmm. watching politicians yell at each other from across the seats at each other, horrible things, seeing um, Pauline Hanson the other day make absolutely abhorrent racial slurs towards one of the senators. Mm. Um, I don't even know how to describe it. It does not feel... <laughs> Like, this is a government that I want to be a part of. Why can't you sit down next to each other? Why do you have to argue? Why can't you just sit Mm. down next to each other? Get heated if you want, right? Mm. But it's not about, like you said before, to come full circle like the court system. It's not about the best thing for the public or the best thing for some people or the best ways that we can possibly move forward. Mm. It's about winning. Mm. Mm. And they're just opposing bills because the other person says that they want it and they think that they have to be the opposite to it. Yeah, and I I guess it, it, it's improved a little bit because the, the previous mob just said, I move that the member no longer be heard, and then they just shut down the debate completely. So I don't know whether you prefer the silence or the debating, but um, it does feel like schoolyard politics half the time. I, I, you know, I'm, I am glad that there are more women in there. I think there's some more insightful and intelligent debate and and discussion that's going on. I think we've seen that a lot with the influx of a lot of the independents and, you know, the the Labor Party having more 
women in there, but um, we need to just keep pushing. We need to keep pushing more representation, more voices to be heard, more victims' voices to be heard. We need to advocate. People need to sign our petition. We need to get this Senate inquiry happening. We need to make changes so that women and victims of sexual assault can feel that they've got a chance of being heard and getting some justice for the alleged crimes that are perpetrated against them. You know, yeah. it's not okay that that we, people are silenced. Secondary to that as well, it's giving that access right to people who are marginalised, so for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander yeah. peoples, for people who English is a second language, for migrants, for people with visas, um, Crimes happen to these people and the crimes yeah. happen disproportionately to these people, people with yeah. disabilities that are nonverbal. Yeah. There is a lot of things that happen and we don't have a system that a very educated um, and very, you know, prominent and wealthy person can navigate easily. How yeah. the hell is somebody that is on a visa who speaks English as a second language and doesn't have a solid income, standard income, how are they supposed to navigate this system and get justice? Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, I think we're all we're very clever people, you know. Why can't we be more flexible about the way things are done, you know, just the, the basic things about giving evidence, you know. Why can't we, um, why can't we record evidence? You know, why can't we do it remotely if it's unsafe for the person or they can't get to the courtroom? Like we've got Zoom, we've got, you know, the, one of the good things that came out of the pandemic was that, you know, we all could work out now how to go online and talk to each other. Why does it have to be the old-fashioned way? We need to be able to bring what we've learnt into this sphere as well. We need to be able to bring trauma-informed knowledge of the way that we treat people who've experienced traumatic events it's not about pumping them for information and and making them feel terrible and, and beating them into submission it's actually about giving them the opportunity to say their story in a way where they're heard where they're supported and it, it focuses on the process the what actually happened not the person and I think when when you're being berated by somebody, you're defensive, you're scared. Mm. You know, you're not going to be giving, you're probably already traumatized anyway. This isn't going to help by being mm. yelled at on the stand in front of a bunch of people where somebody's basically calling you a liar. Yeah. Like, I just don't think that that's the best environment to get the whole truth. Like, I think trying to scare somebody into messing up, again, is not about getting the full story and the truth. It's about, just trying to elicit doubt in a jury. Which yeah. It's really interesting that you mentioned that because it reminded me of when um, I was first starting out as a psychologist, we received some training, some legal training about giving evidence in court on behalf of clients. And the majority of it was trying to withstand a barrage of intimidation about you know, um, how many minutes that you saw the client or what's your experience or do you really know? And I didn't even really get to much of a chance to to tell the story of the person who'd come to see me. I mean, it was it, it was practice. I wasn't in court. But a lot of people are afraid of going to court because it becomes this adversarial 
approach where you get diminished as a as an expert we need to to talk down your credentials because it doesn't suit us that you're you know that you have got something to say in defense of your client like how is that relevant to the case that you're there for that's so interesting though so like one of your subjects to become a psychologist was getting berated by like a lecturer no. or something like it wasn't part of the course it was some professional development that I oh, that we wow. received in the workplace yeah because um sometimes people would um yeah pe- people's cases would end up in court for like let's say for example um if they defended and you know stolen some money or something like that um it, because that's one of the things that I'm really passionate about now, actually changing the, you know, the legal, the magistrates and lawyers' opinion of things like gambling, you know, and gambling harm as a mitigating factor, not as an aggravating factor. But back then it was about what on earth do you know about this? You're inexperienced. You don't know enough. I thought, oh, I never want to go to court again. <laughs> that's you know? amazing though. But, you know, the the funny thing is that you feel like that after being coached. Yet we actually can't coach the victims in any way. They can't be coached. The defendants mm. can be, but the victims cannot be. So mm. as a defendant, you've got every right to go through as much coaching as you can pay for. Mm. But as And you don't actually have to get up there and speak, which is mm. funny. But the victim receives no coaching and no information. They're left in the dark. So this is where we need to provide them with that support, right, as much as we can. To get people in there to to be able to walk them through what actually happens. But it's also just like why should anybody have to be coached on how to withstand a barrage like that? Like why can't we just actually talk to people logically, ask some questions calmly, poke holes in their story where there are some, you know, with a lot of victims mm. there are holes or there's inconsistencies that we know that that's okay. That's a part of trauma. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're not telling the truth. But for Mm -hmm. example, I would fully expect people to ask questions about that. But why do you have to make counter allegations? One of them was you're making this allegation because he didn't make you come, which is Mm -hmm. what happened to Maddie Lane in her case. Mm -hmm. Um, They know that that's not the truth. They're just making up something. Yeah. And then, to turn around kind of, I think, and berate somebody for days and hours or somebody is inconsolably crying. Like there's no, you're not going to get the answers that you want in that. But I'm so interested, I think, as well, like in your personal experience as a psychologist and with some of the issues that that we've spoken about, one of them, you know, being the disparity in the sentencing outcomes and there's a lot of things to do with that that we're both very passionate about and, and the work that you've got with March for Justice coming up. Mm. What do you think some of the areas maybe that we as members of the public can work on or that you kind of have been seeing if you have been seeing any trends or changes? If I think people need to try and see the issue for what it is. You know, I, we've talked about people trying to deflect attention away from the real issue. The real issue is the statistics that people talk about. You know, only 13% of people will actually come forward and report, right? So 87% have decided this is way too hard or I'm not going to get anywhere or maybe they've been dissuaded or whatever it might be. People need to start thinking, why is that the case? 
And not not the old, you know, it could be my daughter or it could be my sister or none of that kind of stuff. I think the majority of people can can I um, relate and and identify to the idea that this is a really traumatic, this is re-traumatising for someone. Why can't we make the system more just? You know, I really would... Um, I would encourage people to sign our petition, um, March for Justice. I would encourage people to talk to other people that maybe this has happened to and get an idea of what it was like for them. Um, I would ask questions, you know. I would get interested and get involved in, anywhere you can in discussions and about why is it that in this instance people are so unable to get justice you know why is this not important have a think about what is it and if something something in you doesn't go hang on a minute this isn't right I'd be really surprised you know we need to really we need to really get in touch with the injustice of what's happening I do want to give credit where it's due, you know, the change of government, there's a lot more focus and, you know, more money being put into changes of family violence and, you know, some of the stuff that they're going to do around um, this issue. It's a great start, credit where it's due. But I think there's a real outcry for some change and some action and not just words. So, you know, talk to your local member. Go and talk to someone. Talk to someone who's got some influence. Write a letter. Write an email. I'm showing my age there. Write a letter. Shoot an email <laughs> off to. <laughs> shoot an email off because they they read them. I know they do. Get you know make make yourself heard. Make your voice heard. Join us at March for Justice. You know talk to your talk to your friends about the issue. You'll find that I I think there's. Maybe not a lot of not a lot of people talk about it out loud, but you know, once you start connecting with other women, particularly and some great allies, some men, people do hold these views. And that sense of connection that we spoke about before, if we're connected toward a common goal, we can mobilize in various ways to push and to make some change and to agitate. It's it's not okay just to sit quietly and let this happen. Um, particularly for people who are marginalised, particularly for people who don't have a voice. We need to stand with them. We need to amplify their voices and, and say to them, I support you, I hear you, I see you, how can I help? And we also you know? need to, by doing all of these things, we're preventing future harms. That's the other thing. Most offenders yeah. are not one-off offenders <clears throat> and it's important that we enable this through the systems, not make it all up to victims to come forward, but create systems yes. where they can. You spoke about this Senate inquiry that you want to to get going and, and the petition as well that you mm. want people to sign. What would a Senate inquiry look like? You know, as, as a lot of, you know, people from overseas and interstate um, listen to this podcast, and I guess how do we describe what a Senate inquiry would be? And what would it look like um, ideally for you? Yeah, so we would call on the government to have um, 
an investigation in like we've got some of the terms of reference actually on our petition um that encourage people to go and, and and have a look at it but the kind of things that we want to to look at our um prevention so preventative responses to sexual violence that address power imbalance gender roles and trauma and that's probably something that we haven't talked about a lot um together but prevention is really important too and a lot of that stuff you know can be done we're seeing it done in the consent space. You know, consent education is really, really important. Um, respectful relationships. Um, and I think also some of the preventative stuff is also seeing when people do receive um, just uh, sentences for what they've done, like seeing other people, seeing the crime punished. Yeah. I think that is a really, really powerful message for people as well. Um, we'd like to see an examination into the way police investigation procedures um, happen. Um, we'd like to see options for independent reviews of some of the decisions that are made, Ex examining court processes for handling sexual violence survivors and defendants, and that's something that we've spoken about a lot tonight, you know, actually looking at how people move through the court process. Um, reviewing some of the rules and policies, identifying some of the inconsistencies in the definitions of sexual offences, um, and identifying international best practice, which is or the last one that we actually would like to see covered is considering specialised sexual offence courts as well. But um, the reviewing international practice is something that one of our board members, Amanda, is going to do as part of her Churchill Fellowship, so go yeah. overseas and look at how um, other people do this better <laughs> and bring back some of that learning, you know. So if we hope that the government will hold an inquiry into how things are currently done but also look at those kind of terms of reference that we've put forward to, to make some changes um, in the way that um, the system works currently to make it better for victims especially yeah i think it's it's very powerful and and i think that tackles that kind of end to end view of the system rather than agitating issues or pressing changes that need to be made and that's mm. not saying that those things aren't important it's saying mm. that you've got to maybe tackle it from both ends you know from top down and bottom up where we yeah. tackle the little things, and they're not little things, they're huge, but the, mm -hmm. you know, the individual things like um, bits of legislation and process that we can possibly change or policy, um, and then you've got that bigger picture, major mm -hmm. changes and major reviews that need to happen because it's just so imperative that this is changed. Like I don't want to see benefits come through that are, you know, 1% of sex offenders are convicted and it becomes one5 that's still beautiful, but I would like to see it go from 1% to 90%. Mm. You know, people don't lie about this. And, you know, I can comfortably say that, of course, maybe some people do, but there's not a very, you know, you can't base your practice off the fact that somebody might be lying. That's why the integrity of investigations and the integrity of believing victims needs to be there. They need to be yeah. believed first so that they can have proper investigations. It's interesting you mentioned that because I, I can remember um, distinctly there was an episode of the drama on ABC where this 
guest who comes on from time to time was talking about how guest women with an eye roll. <laughs> yeah. I won't say her name because I might gag. But she was saying that um, you know, women lie in, in family violence cases, women lie in court. And there was an ex family court judge as part of the episode that night. And he said, um, in my experience, I found that that actually isn't the case. And then he gave, you know, some examples. And then she said, well, I've talked to my girlfriends and we know that women lie. So she persevered with her personal experience. And then the pre- the judge said, in my working experience, I can tell you. And then, you know, he basically schooled her on what the truth is, but she wouldn't have it. So, you know, some people do hold these beliefs that women lie about things. Um, But I think one of the most powerful parts of any kind of review or inquiry is listening to the lived experience voice. We need to listen to what people have to say about what hasn't worked, what they think will work better, what they think will help victims in the future, and we need to take that feedback on board and integrate it into any reforms that we do. Well, Anastasia, it's been so lovely to talk to you. Was there anything else that we needed to cover before we wrap up? I think we've solved most of the world's problems, haven't we? (laughs) This has been so good. And I think what I really enjoy about chats like this as well is just it's such a passion of mine. It's a passion of yours, you know, and often I don't get to have these chats with people. It's (laughs) me consuming this as a part of, you know, what I'm reading and researching and learning on my own and Mm. to be able to think out loud and talk it through with somebody that has similar passions to me and desires for what we want the world to look like in the future. It's really powerful. Yeah. Well, thank you. I I really appreciate the opportunity. I, I, you know, hope that anyone who's listening who has been personally impacted by this or triggered by this can, you know, access some support services. I'm sure you always have the the numbers and everything as part of the podcast too. Um, but, you know, I just want to say that um, we believe you, we see you, we hear you, and we want to make it better. So let's all work together toward that goal. Yes, and in the show notes of this episode, you'll find all of those resources. You'll find the link to the petition. Um, If you follow me on social media, you'll find it in the link tree. There'll be a little tab that says get involved and you can click on that and you can sign the petition via that. It's such a small thing that we can all do, but I think it's something that, you know, across the globe we would all support in all areas is to find that best practice where, victims are better supported, where outcomes are better, and ultimately where we can prevent this from happening to, you know, people across the world. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Anastasia. I really would like to have you come back and chat with me again. I'm sure that we'll have (laughs) many chats offline um, and the work that you're doing both um, as a psychologist and with uh, March for Justice as well is, is really incredible. So thank you again, and thank you for listening to Reclaim Me. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you do need help or support, please reach out to those crisis services or suggested resources in the show notes for this episode. Have a look after yourself and make sure that you're doing and taking the time that you need to process the information or to process anything that may have come up that was triggering for you. Lastly, I do have one ask. Can you please take the time to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any platform that you listen to Reclaim Me on? 
This helps tremendously with me reaching additional people and making sure that we get the word out there that there is no shame or stigma that should be associated with being a victim of these crimes. If you could also share this podcast with somebody you may know, as you may not be a survivor yourself, but you sure as hell know one. Thank you again. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.